This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. I'm excited to bring you this episode that is a very current recap of a huge climate event that recently concluded, COP28. COP is the Conference of Parties. It is the largest climate change conference in the world hosted by the United Nations. It's bigger and bigger every year. It's receiving more and more media attention. And this year, COP was held in Dubai. So throughout the two weeks that COP was being held, there were a lot of headlines about what was going on on the ground, what oil producing nations and fossil fuel executives were doing on the ground and how they were influencing the climate change communications and commitments that various countries were making. So I'm really excited to have Charlie Frisk here. Charlie serves as the Director of Climate Action for Time for Better, a climate change communications organization. She is a climate storyteller, and she really does an incredible job of involving community in climate communications. Charlie is a recent graduate also of the Yale School of the Environment's Master's Program in Climate Science and Solutions. I'm excited to speak with Charlie today about her experience on the ground at COP because she was there for two weeks with Time for Better, So the entire duration of COP28, Charlie was facilitating events, encouraging community on the ground, involving herself in these communications when available, and again, really just managing the relationships between the media and climate communicators on the ground and climate negotiators. So today's conversation is really, really interesting because we got a firsthand account of what was going on on the ground at COP and what some of the wins were. I'm going to have in the show notes some articles recapping moments that we discuss or allude to in this conversation. So, for example, we talk about the COP presidency making comments, watering down the role of fossil fuels in anthropogenic climate change. Again, we allude a little bit to fossil fuel executives being on the ground. I'll have some news articles linked in the show notes if you want some kind of journalistic updates on that. But today's quick conversation with Charlie is really recapping the successes of COP, the optimism, the community building, what we're looking for forward to when it comes to climate commitments on a global scale. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation. I'm going to have in the show notes links to Time for Better's coverage of COP and some of the campaigns that they facilitated online. So if you'd like to learn more about their work, you certainly can. Again, that'll be in the show notes. And in the show notes will also be all of my social links. I will have little clips from this episode being shared on Instagram and TikTok. My email is down there if you ever want to get in touch. And if you are listening to Eco Chic for the first time, I encourage you to double check that you're subscribed wherever you're listening today, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever that may be. And with that, let's jump into today's conversation with Charlie. Hope you enjoy. I'm so excited to talk to you a little bit today about your experience at COP. It seems like COP28 was more publicized than I've ever seen a COP before. It seems really exciting that young people are getting involved, that social media users are getting involved. It was really an event for the people. And I'd love to talk a little bit about the two weeks that you spent there in Dubai. Like, talk to me a little bit about the lay of the land. Yeah, perfect. So this COP was one of the most inclusive COPs that 
we've ever seen before. There were people of all different ages that were attending climate events, leading climate events, speaking at climate events. There was young people, people that were older, people that were from indigenous communities, people that were disabled as well. So there's just a whole breadth of different people that were attending um, the space, which is typically very inaccessible and still um, was inaccessible. It was held in Dubai, which is definitely not an easy place to get to and a really expensive place as well. But it was huge. There was a whole blue and green zone area that was dedicated to the COP space. The blue zones where all the negotiations happen and green zone is where civic society comes and gathers. And it really was like a huge city of climate activations. And the energy on the ground was definitely very exciting. There was a lot of conversations being held to phase out fossil fuels and a lot of mobilization from especially the youth communities to um, advocate for, for better change at this COP. Um, so overall, it was really exciting, but also exhausting. <laughs> there was so much going on. Um, so it made it a little tiring, a lot tiring. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, super exciting. I'm glad that you also felt like it was an inclusive experience. You know, it's always interesting to hear how it actually feels on the ground. So thank you so much for that background. And I'd also love to hear a little bit from your perspective, being on the ground, being at COP for two weeks. What was the general attitude, I suppose, about Dubai being the host country? I know there was a lot of controversy this year, especially with some comments made by the COP president. And I'd love to hear a little bit about like what that felt like on the ground. Yeah, so when they announced that Dubai was hosting this year's COP earlier this year, there was a lot of disappointment because Dubai is a major leading oil producer. So holding it in that environment where they are invested in a future that does not phase out of fossil fuels is really disappointing. Um, and at the beginning of this COP28, there was a press conference that got held for President Al Jabir where he said that um, he denied that he was using the COP to further the fossil fuel agenda, but there was a lot of leaked documents which stated otherwise. Um, so immediately a lot of people were really skeptical about this COP. But then he started making a lot of comments on how he wanted to lead courageously and a lot of people got behind that. Um, and so we saw at the end of the COP there was a letter that was signed by over 2,000 CEOs, indigenous leaders, um, civic society members advocating and pressuring him into this courageous leadership where he can advocate for the, for the phase out of fossil fuels, a transition away from fossil fuels. So we saw like a transition of like pretty hypercritical to then more of like a easing and um pushing kind of for courageous leadership for the president at least oh i love that that's really positive to hear because i feel like that hopeful turn was not covered at all in the media yes i feel like it's not a very um popular thing to cover hope and optimism especially within the climate movement and i feel like these headlines that are more negative are a bit more grabby for people so i feel like this um, hopeful turn was definitely lost. And while the language of the cop still is missing so much and it definitely condemns like 
people that live in island nations who cannot survive without a 1.5 degree future. Um, there is also hope and optimism that this is the first COP that in 30 years that mentions fossil fuels as the contributor to climate change, which is maybe a more of a, a phrase on how we've failed in the past, but also it's um, important to celebrate the wins as well. Yeah, it's almost unbelievable that we've never explicitly discussed fossil fuels as why we are experiencing climate change. And this is the climate change conference. Right, right. It is actually unbelievable. Quick break to tell you about Just Thrive. It's estimated that some 80 to 90% of Americans suffer from some gut issue. Gas, bloating, constipation, indigestion, heartburn, acid reflux, you name it. And according to research, 99.9% of probiotics don't even make it to your gut. We also know that 70 to 90% of your immune system lives in your gut, and it's the core of our health. Just Thrive's proprietary strains have been third-party clinically tested and proved to arrive 100% alive in your gut. They're the only brand with patented strains HU36, which provides antioxidants in the gut. Just Thrive probiotics even address the hardest to combat issues like leaky gut in just 30 days. Just Thrive's probiotics provide immune support, boost your energy, improve your sleep, promote healthy skin, and encourage healthy weight management and support that gut-brain connection we all value. For a limited time, you can save 20% off a 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic or Just Calm at justthrivehealth.com with promo code ECOCHIC. That's like getting a month for free, all with a money-back guarantee. Again, that's justthrivehealth.com with promo code ECOCHIC for 20% off your 90-day bottle. I love the probiotic and highly suggest you also check out their Just Calm. Back to the show. You spoke a little bit about hope and optimism, and we also discussed the criticism that early COP was getting. So I'd love to talk a little bit about some highlights and some wins that came out of COP. Um, we saw some really exciting things covering the press, like the loss and damage fund. There was a lot of kind of small wins, I would say, like around the final language. Uh, the commitments that came out of COP. So could you just like run us through a high level list to better understand why this COP was successful? Yes. So definitely one of the more exciting things that came out of last year's COP was the commitment to creating a loss and damages fund, which is really important um, because this helps communities adapt and mitigate to climate change um, and ask the top emitters to step up and to commit financially to helping people. Um, so there was $700 million that was um, committed. However, this is a little bit of a drop in the bucket because the commitment's around $500 billion by 2030. So there's a lot of things to push for there. Um, and the U.S. only committed to $17 million, which is the cost of some expensive homes in the U.S. So I think that we can maybe commit a little bit more in the future, um, especially as we are a leading greenhouse gas emitter. Um, there was a lot of really exciting things that happened for nature as well. And there was a lot of money that was committed to making sure that we recognize nature-based solutions, especially ocean solutions as well. And we saw the tripling of renewable energy, which is already happening as well. This is an exponential growth um, situation that's happening worldwide that people are recognizing the value of renewable energy. 
And there was a very interesting um, and exciting hopeful news that came out that 22 countries have committed to tripling nuclear energy by 2050, which is the first time this has been really recognized as a clean energy solution on a countrywide basis. Um, So that was an exciting news piece as well. I hadn't heard about that. Thank you for including that nuclear bit. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited that we were able to talk a little bit about the loss of damages fund because, like you said, it's a drop in the bucket and there is more to commit. But I think that commitment, to me at least, is exciting and hopeful. It's showing that we're going to keep having this conversation for the next six or seven years um, until 2030. And so the full $500 billion is recognized. So at least the conversation has started going. And I think loss and damages are really interesting, like you mentioned, to especially communities that are experiencing the front lines of climate change. You mentioned island communities. You mentioned indigenous communities. A lot of these marginalized communities that are feeling the effects of climate change now are the folks that have been left out of the conversation historically. So even at the top, when you mentioned this was such an inclusive COP as an event, like on the ground, it was also clearly a very inclusive COP when it came to the outcomes, which is very promising. Absolutely. I definitely think that can be attributed to the indigenous communities that were on the ground and the youth communities that were on the ground that stayed up late um, in the conference halls, pushing for language, standing outside of negotiators' halls and standing in solidarity with each other. Um, And as well as for the indigenous communities, there was a few delegations that worked together to really communicate with these negotiators and had a a meaningful seat at the table to push for for change. So that's really impressive to me. Yeah, absolutely. And something you mentioned is just the people on the ground. Like historically, we have not seen so many young people, so many indigenous people attending this event. And we've also never seen so many kind of like inclusive, I suppose, spaces at COPS. It's not just that the people were not being included. But the actual events were not nearly as hopeful. It was historically quite a technical conference. And we, we've never seen so much like civil society attending and being interested in climate action. So on that note, I'd love to talk a little bit about events at COP and some of the events that Time for Better participated in and hosted and the value of having those spaces kind of parallel to these more political spaces. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that historically COP spaces have been very technical, but the climate movement is one based on culture and optimism and community. So these spaces that emerge from people that are really leading with those values are really interesting. Um, And I work with Time for Better. I work as their director of climate action and we're a creative climate communications agency that's focused on hope and optimism. And we were really lucky that we got to produce a whole side event series adjacent to the COP space. Um, We had a beautiful event venue that was situated in Alcer Call, which is Dubai's arts and cultural district. And we held a week-long series of events from uh, women in leadership to communicating about nuclear energy with climate activists and industry professionals to the just transition to some socials with indigenous uh, prime ministers and Brazil and like country delegates and everything. So we had um, earth discos and just a whole bunch of different fun events that really I feel like break up the 
not so fun situation that cop Austin puts us in, which is um, putting people in silos and not very hopeful situations. And we brought this sense of community and home and hope for people um, through these really fun events that we got to do. I love that. It sounds like fun. And I feel like the fun part is very often left out of climate spaces. Like perhaps in the last few years, you've seen more and more events tailored towards climate joy. But we really historically have not had those spaces. So it's really special to see these historically siloed communities being included in also the celebrations, not just the negotiations and the advocacy and like the hard work of climate action. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that these spaces are something that people really need. Like, it's really wonderful to watch people come into the Hope House um, from being at the blue zone the whole day and negotiating and then coming into a space where they can either unwind and read a book from the climate authors that we were able to feature in our Hope House library or listen to some really fun music from this Indigenous DJ, Eric Turena, that we partnered with at a few of our parties. But just having a space that's more focused on hope and optimism and the holistic person, either through parties or even wellness. And we had a couple of yoga instructors that came in from the Dubai area and did yoga classes or sound bath experiences. So we had a whole breadth of like taking care of the human experience. Oh, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Charlie. I'm, I feel FOMO. Like that sounds so good. Like yoga and sound baths and all of this space for, like you said, the human experience outside of COP. I feel like that's so special and so necessary. So thank you so much for that work. And thanks for sharing it with us today. Uh, just to close us off on this conversation around COP, we've talked a lot about success. We've talked hope. We've talked outcomes. What is next from someone who was there for two weeks, which is also quite rare, right? Like most people are there for two or three days at a time. For someone who experienced the entire COP, talk to me a little bit about what you hope is next for the climate community in general. Yeah. So um, I talked a little bit earlier about this letter that came out with 2,000 different leaders from different sectors calling for courageous leadership. Um, and they had three specific S. So it was to phase out fossil fuels, to triple renewable energy, and then to stop deforestation and land degradation. And this was a force that was pushed by Global Optimism, which is a really great organization focused on climate hope and optimism, as well as the B Team, which is a collection of different businesses that are pushing for climate action. And they pushed for this language that that got recognized by the COP presidency and then really created a lot of groundswell ahead of COP. Even people online and digitally were participating and sharing out these assets from Earthrise um, and, yeah, just creating a huge groundswell of movement. And now we see this language that has come out of uh, the COP28 space, this UAE consensus, where we have agreed to transition away from fossil fuels in a just and equitable way. And now the work begins because this UAE consensus has no teeth. It's not legally binding. It's an agreement that countries sign on to. And now it's all of us. It's people that um, were at the COP space. It's people that were at the COP space. 
that have to put this consensus into work. And this is something that we can all participate in. And yeah, we are looking ahead to COP29 in Baku and Azerbaijan, which is another oil producing country, um, and COP30, which will happen in Brazil. But honestly, it's it's really great language to shift our culture and to recognize that fossil fuels are the culprit of climate change. But it's all of us now that have to work um, locally and nationally, internationally to push for the change that we want to see to make sure that we phase out of fossil fuels, that we ramp up renewables and that we're protecting our planet and the land on our planet, the oceans on our planet. So what I'm really excited for is that this is a really good language piece to keep us hopeful and optimistic and to affirm what we're doing is is on track with climate change. And now the, the work begins again um, after we take a, a rest from COP and everything, of course. Yeah. Gosh, gosh, Charlie, thank you so much for walking me through that and for, again, really emphasizing like the rest and the value of the human experience and all of this, because like you mentioned, it really does come down to local communities, state governments, country governments individually really moving towards these commitments. And it's intimidating to see that nothing is legally binding yet, but that doesn't mean that the work is over or that it's not worth pushing any further. So this piece, again, of hope, of optimism, of really like continuing to create inclusive spaces so that folks can get involved in local climate action to whatever extent local means to them is all the more important. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I hope that everybody that is listening, even if they weren't at COP, feels like this um, sense of community that we're, we're working towards really big and amazing things and to keep that hope and optimism close with them because uh, real change can happen if we're working together. Thank you so, so much for tuning into today's conversation with Charlie Frisk, Director of Climate Action with Time for Better. I really wanted to cover COP this year in a personal way, and I'm so thankful for Charlie that she was able to share her experience and really let me pick her brain and give us all a reason for hope and optimism after such an intense two weeks of climate negotiations. So with that, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I look forward to hanging out with you next week. Again, if you want to get in touch, all my links are in the show notes. And if you're celebrating, I hope you have a very wonderful, fabulous, cozy holiday season. I'll talk to you soon. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.